was a record label founded in 1899 in Camden, New Jersey by Frank Seaman. The Zonophone name was not that of the company, but was applied to records and machines sold by Siemens Universal Talking Machine Company from 1899 to 1903. Emil Berliner, the inventor of the lateral groove disc record and the gramophone, formed a partnership with machinist Eldridge Reeves Johnson, who had improved Berliner's gramophone to the point of marketability. And with former typewriter promoter Frank Seaman, Berliner was to hold the patent, Johnson had manufacturing rights, and Seaman had selling rights. And we all know how that turned out. The path of the Zonophone has a lot of crazy twists and turns, but in the end winds up where it all started, begun by Victor Interest, split off from Victor, acquired by Victor. Welcome to Dead Wax 78s. I'm your host, Sean, and this is the podcast where we talk about everything old-time gramophone and old-time music. Today's show is on Zonophone. American Zonophone records have their roots in Frank Seaman's National Gramophone Company. Seaman was becoming increasingly dissatisfied with Berliner's commissions and pricing structure, as well as the company's inability to make timely deliveries. He produced a workable coin-operated disc phonograph and developed overseas markets. In 1897, he opened a recording studio in New York with the knowledge and consent of the Berliner Company, ostensibly to demonstrate the recording process to the public. On October 1st, 1897, Seaman resigned as president of National Gramophone and was replaced by Orville Ledoux, or Ledoux, depending on what you read. This is following Seaman's departure. National Gramophone's already strained relationship with the Berliner Company was largely severed. In December 1897, National Gramophone advertised a competing disc machine the Vocophone for export to Europe. Seaman and Ladau launched the Universal Talking Machine Company on January 26, 1898. The company was organized to manufacture, buy, own, and sell coin-actuating and other automatic devices, and also machines for reproducing musical and other sounds according to its incorporation papers anyway. Ladau was elected president of the new company while retaining his position as secretary and manager of National Gramophone, which would act as Universal Talking Machines sales agent. Seaman justified creation of the new company based on a clause in his 1896 contract with Berliner that allowed him to obtain machines and records from other sources should Berliner fail to deliver satisfactory goods in a timely manner, as was the case. Here's side one. Any ice today, lady? It's a Burt Furman's Dance Orchestra on Zonophone 1927. 
Initially, the Universal Talking Machine Company sold slightly modified Berliner products through National Gramophone. During the summer of 1898, Seaman hired H. H. Eldred to deliver a batch of Berliner machines to Europe from which the Berliner decals were effaced and covered with celluloid Zonophone nameplates. By the late summer of 1898, inventor Louis P. Valiquet had joined the Universal staff and the company began manufacturing its own Zonophone machines advertised as Improved Gramophones, designed by Valiquette. Among his improvements was the an additional peg on the turntable adjacent to the spindle to prevent slippage of the disc. Since Universal was still obtaining pressings from Berliner and was not yet producing its own discs, it simply drilled an additional hole through the label area of the Berliner discs to accommodate the peg. 
Universal claimed use of its Zonophone brand on phonographs beginning in August 11, 1898. In the meantime, the American Graphophone Company, Columbia, was preparing to take legal action against National Gramophone, claiming that the Berliner reproducer infringed its floating stylus patent. The case went to court in October 1898, and in November, a New York Circuit Judge Lacombe ruled against National Gramophone. A restraining order and temporary halting gramophone sales in the United States went into effect on January 25, 1899. The order was lifted in March, but by then, Seaman had decided to scuttle the National Gramophone Company. Here's side two. Edward M. Favor, it was the Dutch, one of the first recording artists on Zonophone in 1903. It was the Dutch, done by Mr. Edward M. Favor, and who in this world's history will put down every page? To whom did Father Adam go to buy his groceries? And what brave nation was the first to eat Limburger cheese? It was the Dutch. It was the Dutch. Could a Chinaman discover sauerkraut? Not much. It was the Dutch. It was the Dutch. Who always led the world? It was the Dutch. The English soldiers when the Boers and British met The English didn't know enough to come in from the West Who nearly beat the British so outnumbered ten to one And who collected damages when old John Bull was done It was the Dutch, it was the Dutch Would an Englishman grow whiskers like old Paul? Not but it was the Dutch, it was the Dutch Who first invented hair? It was the Dutch who found the Hudson River and who built Niagara Falls? From whom did Rip Van Winkle get his ripples overall? Who was this late named Louis Rich who gave the town its name? Who made Milwaukee famous and who added to its fame? It was the Dutch. It was the Dutch. Heard an Indian discover loud of fear, not but it was the Dutch, it was the Dutch. Who first invented skate, it was the Dutch. Universal had begun selling what it claimed were its own discs but which in fact were pirated copies of Berliner recordings. Their dull appearance, somewhat degraded sound quality, and surface imperfections that don't appear on genuine Berliner pressings all suggested that the stampers were electroplated from commercial Berliner pressings. The gramophone brand and other telltale details were burnished out of the label areas, leaving only the titles and the original Berliner catalog numbers visible in the original typeface. 
Large-scale production of Zonophone machines was underway by late 1899, and the magazine Phonoscope, the June 1899 edition, reported that the Universal Talking Machine Company had started a large factory where they employed about 40 people making gramophones under the name Zonophones, thereby avoiding the heavy royalties which the National Gramophone Corporation was obliged to pay to Emil Berliner, the inventor, and the Berliner Company. In November 1899, an unusual auto-drive Zonophone machine was advertised in the phonoscope. It embodied patents on a feed-driven tone arm and an articulated horn mount, which apparently were believed to afford the company some protection against Columbia or Berliner patent infringement claims, so the ad claimed. In May 1900, the American Graphophone Company, Columbia, licensed the National Gramophone Corporation and Universal Talking Machine Company, thus providing some patent production for those companies. Columbia's motives was simple. It wanted to enter the disc market, but had not yet developed its own disc products. So instead, it would let its dealers handle the Zonophone line. However, in 1903, Columbia turned its legal ire against its erstwhile ally and succeeded in enjoining the sale of Zonophone records. This pushed the Universal Talking Machine Company to financial disaster, and in desperation, a sale was arranged to Eldridge Johnson. At this point, Zonophone, in effect, became a wholly owned subsidiary of the Victor Talking Machine Company. Here's side three. Harry Talley on an automobile honeymoon, 1905 Zonophone. Wagon for mine. Here's your 
But in 1904, we get the Herbert bootleg litigation. The famous composer, Victor Herbert, sued Zonophone for illegally using his name. The folks at Universal weren't strangers to such shenanigans as this, but the suit was a little different from their past courtly bouts. Unsurprisingly, the music director, Fred Hager, spoke relatively little, but most of the obvious blame was on him, as they all knew it was him who first thought it'd be a good idea to use Herbert's name on their labels. The claims on the Zonophone management were that a few members of the original Victor Herbert band had gotten special permission from Herbert to use his name on the label. Hager spoke with the utmost pomp in his wording begging the spectators in the court and the jurors that his tuba player, Anton Schleichbusch, had gotten permission directly from Mr. Herbert himself to make these records. After Victor Herbert got his prize of several thousand dollars from Zonophone, Hager decided that it might be best if he gradually leave the phonograph business and work in publishing. Later that same year, the Victor Talking Machine Company bought the entirety of Zonophone, officially ending any independence the company originally had over making of its own discs. The discontinuance of the machine in 1912 coincides with the demise of the Zonophone Company, forced to disband by court decision after losing a lawsuit to Columbia. There is so much more to the Zonophone tale. The player died away, but the record label went on and on, changing hands and countries all over the world. Here's side four. Well, here's a song that Victor Herbert didn't do. Midnight Flyer, 1903 Zonophone. Make sure that you hear the tuba player, apparently can't be trusted. The Midnight Flyer, part and two steps, played by Victor Herbert's band, Zonophone Records. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> 
Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Sean. This is Deadwax78. And you know what? I'll catch you on the flip side.